Everybody loves chalupas. Nobody loves the Rish Outcast. Well, that's not true. Is it? Uh, this is Rish Outfield, and, and yeah, this is the Rish Outcast. Sorry to let you down. I, uh, speaking of letting you down, I've got a story I'm going to produce for you. Produce for you. Well, that's true. I have not yet produced it. I've written it, though. I've got a story I'm going to present to you today. I felt like I didn't have a lot of story episodes ready to go in 2021. And so I needed to grab a story, seemingly at random, and put it out there. And so the story that I'm going to be presenting to you today is called Comes the Podcatcher. <laughs> and yeah, I guess I can't say that with a straight face. The title is Ludicrous, Ridiculous, Bad. But I'm of the belief that a good writer can make a good story about anything. An abortion doctor that falls in love with a fetus? Done. An adventure story about Clay Aiken's last remaining straight fan? Done. A story about subliminal messages in Wang Chung songs that make them seem like the greatest band of all time? Well, that, that is not a story. That is real. So, I don't know that I am that writer that is good enough to write a, to, to take any premise and make a good story about it. Uh, I, what I do know is that Big Anklevich wrote a Christmas story recently, and he said, you know, that he, he got a, either a website or a book of prompts, and he decided just for fun to use those prompts to write stories about because he was writing every day. And he did one really recently, and I, I thought that the prompt was good, and I thought, oh, shoot, I'd like to write a story about that. And, and basically the prompt was two people who have feelings for each other, unbeknownst to the other, are forced to spend time together. I thought, oh, I'd like to write that. <laughs> Sorry, it came across a little whinier than I intended. This is exactly how whiny I wanted that to sound. Oh, I'd like to write that. See, there's some whine, but not as much. And I do believe that I am a good enough writer that I could write a good story based on any premise that appeals to me. Well, you know, even that can't possibly be true because there have been good premises and I just haven't been able to, to pull off a really good story from that premise, you know? You never know if a story is going to take a left turn, if a story that you wanted to be scary isn't scary, if you wanted a story to be funny uh, and turns out not to be funny, if you want a story that would be sad, turns out not to be sad. I believe I've told this story before, but I'm always wanting to tell this story I wrote a screenplay called Fallen Angel, and it was my attempt at writing a supernatural romance. And this was years ago when I still had aspirations to be a screenwriter, when I still felt like, oh, that's what my, I am supposed to do. I was in Los Angeles. We were meeting with a writer's group where we were all screenwriters or aspiring screenwriters. And then we would share our work with each other. And my friend Brandon, was among those that were listening to me get through the screenplay. And we've finally gotten to the end of the screenplay where the star-crossed lovers are forced to go their separate ways. And I was proud of myself for having finished the script. This was the very first script I had ever workshopped with the writer's group. And Often workshopping can derail a person. It can, you can hear the wrong thing and be like, yeah, they're right, this is garbage. I'm not gonna do it anymore. But this one I had made all the way through and I was very proud of it and I'm still proud of it. 
I mean, I've never shared it around or anything like that. I have no plans to. But I, I liked the script and I felt like it worked all right. And people clapped and then, we, they, you know, the, the meeting was over and everybody went their separate ways. And Brandon came up to me and he said, I get what you were trying to do there, but the audience should be heartbroken that the two can't be together at the end. They have to understand why they can't be together, but they, it has to break everyone's heart that they don't end up together. And I didn't feel that there at the end. And that really hit me. It really struck me because he understood what I was going for and was saying that I didn't get there. And I think if Brandon were here, A, he'd say, I have no memory of you ever writing that script. And what am I doing here? How did you get me here? Why do you have a gun? But I think he'd also say that he was trying to encourage me of what I need to focus on in the second draft. You know, this is the goal that I can see you were shooting for and you didn't reach the goal, but you know, the potential is there. And I don't think I ever did a second draft of Fallen Angel, except for to, you know, like fix typos here and there or a line that didn't work when people were reading it, that kind of stuff. You fix that here and there. But I, I never wanted to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite my scripts. I wanted to go on to the next one. My friend Ian said that I was quite good at the first draft. He was very, he was always very complimentary about my writing. But he was also cognizant that I didn't like notes and I didn't like to have to incorporate notes and I couldn't deal with criticism. And I'm sure that that has made him less willing to work with me, to send work my way because he's got this idea that I can't be criticized, that I can't handle any criticism or negative comments. And that's damning because you have to have that stuff. As a creative person, you have to learn to take it. You have to learn to handle it. I, I've been talking for a little while, not as long as I have in the past, but long enough. I think I'm going to let you go, let you listen to Comes the Podcatcher. And yeah, let me know if you think the title should just be Podcatcher, because that's what it originally was. And then I changed it to Comes the Podcatcher. Oh. Well, let's find out together what I ultimately called the story. And then we'll talk more. See ya. Podcatcher by Rish Outfield. Patrick and Courtney were on the couch. The movie they'd been watching the Mexican Pixar film with the abominable name, completely forgotten. He had tasted the filling on the back of one of her teeth and felt the nipples on her small breasts hardening both through her sweater and again once the sweater came off. She was breathing heavily, gasping pleasantly when his fingers did something she liked. He was in the middle of this rather joyful task, but still heard his cell phone buzz on the coffee table. Once, twice, at least three times. Damn, he breathed. No kidding, she said, and gasped again, laughing. But his damn had been in surprise that someone kept texting him, and it only got worse when the phone began to ring. I'll let it go to voicemail, he murmured, as he kissed her rather long neck, smelling her hair feeling the perspiration start to appear where they touched. "'What?' Courtney asked, apparently unaware of anything other than him at the moment. That was flattering. Really, that he was here on the couch, experiencing this with Courtney Goggins, was kind of a dream come true. He had liked her forever, and had ached, actually physically ached, when he'd heard she had a steady live-in boyfriend. He hadn't felt that way since high school. 
But the live-in boyfriend had only been an occasional boyfriend, and she had let it slip that he was now out of the picture, and Patrick had nutted up enough to ask, So, is the position open? You taking applications? Maybe it had come out less smoothly than that, but she had laughed and said, No applications, but uh, you could interview, you know, in person. And she had winked. And now, here they were, on the couch in his little two-room condo, and she was half undressed, while the little Mexican boy on the television was singing El Pollo Loco or something in the background. This was maybe the best day he'd had all year. But that phone rang again, only a few seconds after it had gone to voicemail the first time, and he had chuckled and broken away from Courtney's pretty, slightly flushed face. I'd better check that, he said. Sorry. His team at work had varying start times, depending on how far away they'd have to go, and often he'd be called at night or at six in the morning to be told to show up earlier or later than planned, and that was fairly important. He pulled himself off the girl and shimmied down the couch to reach for his phone. His pants were still on, but they seemed to have been replaced by those of a middle schooler. As he answered his phone, it occurred to him that the texts would tell him what was up with work, and he could have looked at those any time. Whoops. Didn't matter, though, as he had missed the second call, too. The calls and texts were coming from a guy at work all right, but nobody in a position of authority or knowledge. It was Pierre, the one the other guys called his little sidekick, who had texted four different times in the last half hour. Pierre was dim and pretty dorky. He had never smoked weed, but was as paranoid as the most diehard pothead, always afraid of things, afraid of girls, afraid of getting hurt on the job, afraid of brown recluse spiders, afraid of global warming, and afraid of pretty much any guy that wasn't Patrick. He had had some childhood trauma, Patrick suspected, and maybe even some kind of fetal alcohol or drug syndrome that prevented him from being less timid, less kid-like, less abnormal. But he was a good guy, a hard worker on the team, and he idolized Patrick. And Patrick liked him. So when he read the texts, Afraid. See someone in the parking lot. Watches me. Saw someone outside my house. Podcasher. He didn't immediately dismiss them. Courtney was still on the couch, drinking the rest of her margarita she'd mixed for them. What is it? she asked, and he must have looked concerned, because she now sounded concerned, too. A friend of mine, freaking out about something. Freaking out about what? Patrick checked the incoming calls. Both of them had been from Pierre Denton. There was a voicemail, too. He left a message, he told her, while already dialing his voicemail box. Pick up, pick up, pick up, Patrick, the agitated voice of his co-worker said on the message. Please, Patrick, I... Then he had hung up. Ah, Courtney, Patrick said, looking over at her. She gave him a smile and... Wow! He had been too close to admire her body before, but there were some sweet curves and dope angles going on over there. His mouth opened a little bit on its own. Look, I'm going to check on him, okay? She shrugged and reached for his margarita, too. Patrick forced himself to look away from the girl and down at his phone. He dialed. His pants reminded him they had unfinished business. That was hardly necessary. Pierre picked up immediately. Patrick, I saw him. He was on the stairs. The kid sounded seriously freaked out. The, the stairs? Calm down, man, and tell me who you saw. 
he was a guy. In these old-time clothes. I saw him before. The podcatcher. He wants to kill me. Pierre didn't live in a house, but a tiny apartment that made Patrick's condominium look palatial. It was in a fairly bad neighborhood, where there could be criminals, drug dealers, maybe gang members. Podcatcher, he asked. Is that like a dog catcher, Pierre? No, he's tall. His arms are as long as his body. For reaching, grabbing, he's, he's like a man, but not really one. Patrick's lips pressed tightly together. This didn't sound like a drug dealer. It didn't sound real. All right, he murmured. What else could he say? He heard Pierre inhale deeply. You won't believe it, so you'll be okay. What? What are you talking about? I didn't say I don't... But he trailed off. Best to just leave it at that, honestly. Best to just leave it at that, honestly. Just lock the door, Pierre. You'll be okay. No, I won't. I saw him before, back in August. I was lucky then. You'll be lucky tonight, too. You're tough. Show that catcher you're not afraid of him. But I am afraid. He's out there somewhere, right now. The poor kid sounded scared, but he also had a way of exaggerating everything. A bee buzzing near him became a murder hornet trying to sting him in the eye. A stumble on the sidewalk was him just about breaking his neck, and an almost fender-bender on the road became a near-death experience. Pierre, buddy, I gotta hang up now, but I promise you, you'll be okay. Just turn on some music, or watch Spider-Man for a while. I'll talk to you later. No, no, you, you don't believe me, but, but if you just... Patrick cut him off. Pierre, I'm in the middle of something right now. You hold on, and I'll call you later. Promise? Yeah, I promise. Be strong. And he hung up the phone. He looked over at Courtney. She didn't seem too upset, and he gave her an apologetic smile. It was Pierre from work. I think I told you about him. The kid that follows you around. Kid that's a year older than me, but yeah. He's freaked out about something. Sorry. No problem, she said, and peeled off one of her socks. She had stubby, unattractive toes. But he didn't mind. The rest of her made up for it. He went back to the couch and started kissing her. And after a moment, she kissed him back, and more clothes came off. He said her name twice, afraid they might have to take a little break before this ended before it was supposed to, and then his phone started to ring again. She stiffened beneath him, and he apologized again. Not even a minute later, his phone buzzed again with another incoming text. Patrick surprised her by kissing her on the forehead, the way a big brother might, and climbing off, checking the text on his phone. Outside my window, it read. He didn't have to check who it was from. Patrick made a frustrated sound, and Courtney echoed it. He okay? He's just freaked out, seeing monsters. Does he live by himself? she asked. Yeah, apartment by the turnpike. Well, maybe he shouldn't, she muttered. He couldn't disagree with her there, but also felt strangely defensive of Pierre Denton. The kid meant well, was a good worker, he showed up on time, never called in sick, and cleaned up after the other guys every shift, without having to be asked, and had had a harder life than anybody he knew. Harder than Courtney's, 
who was both attractive and smart, neither of which were true of Pierre. Harder than the life of Patrick O'Donnell, that was for sure. I'm just, you know, concerned, he said weakly. Courtney pointed to a particular place on her body and said, Here's something you can concern yourself with. He moved forward, eager to please. But he was distracted. You could even say that his heart wasn't into it. A long minute passed. Above him, Courtney said, Look, I'm going to be blunt, which isn't usually my style. Patrick steeled himself. All right. How long have you been interested in me? Well, what do you mean? Sexually, she interrupted. That was blunt. I don't know. I was interested the first time I saw you. But like I told you, because I thought you looked like somebody. An actress from musicals. Well, a singer or an actress, yeah. And you never told me who. From where he was kneeling, he was staring directly up into her nostrils. It was kind of surreal. Well, eventually I figured it out. But you were saying? Who? Who was it? It's not important. Tell me, she urged, flipping his ear with her finger. The girl from Star Wars. I forget her name. Princess Leah? I remind you of her? She's dead, you know. No, the other one, from the newer ones. Was her name Kay? Maybe May? I, I don't know. She shook her head. Ray? But she's so skinny. Courtney Goggins wasn't exactly Melissa McCarthy herself, but he wasn't about to say that. You have the same nose or something. The young lady didn't seem flattered by the comparison. I don't see that. Hey, what were you saying? About me being interested in you. Oh, right. So you've wanted me since you first thought I looked like that anorexic girl from the awful Star Wars movies. Hey, the first one was cool. And here I am, at your place, raring to go, my bra God knows where. It was hanging from the reading lamp, but that wasn't the point. And you want to go visit one of your work buddies. When she put it that way, it did sound kind of stupid. But Pierre was a decent, harmless kid who couldn't help it if he was paranoid and backward and lonely, since no girl on earth was raring to sleep with him, as she put it. In fact, Pierre Denton would want Patrick to finally end up with Courtney, just so he could ask questions about it, live, what was the word, victoriously through him. So Patrick went for it. And it was glorious. For a minute or two. He kept thinking of his friend, and how humiliated he'd been that time their group had gone to see the flick with the twisted doubles that lived underground, and how freaked out he'd been in front of Diane, who Patrick had been seeing, and her shallow sister, who Pierre had been crushing on. In fact, Patrick actually, honestly, considered leaving his new girlfriend mid-foreplay and checking on his friend, even if it was the dumbest thing he'd done since he, at fifteen, had gone skinny-dipping at the rec center while kids' swimming lessons were going on. The phone buzzed again. Patrick sighed and took it for a sign. Courtney sighed, too, when he got up off his knees and darted over to the coffee table to check the text. It's outside my door. Podcatcher, help! St. Francis of Assisi, Patrick, Courtney groaned. Am I boring you here? Uh, I... He stared at that unfamiliar word and was genuinely torn. Look, give me a moment, please. He didn't wait for her reply, but copied the word podcatcher into a Google search. He had to know. A number of links came up. Apparently, the word meant a program 
that saves podcasts and sends them to phones or email, so you can listen to them there. The hell? he thought aloud. That was what his buddy was so on about? Patrick had worried it was some kind of ghost or boogeyman with a name like that. He felt embarrassed and angry at his friend and himself. He looked over at the couch. Courtney had apparently found her bra, put it back on, and was buttoning up her shirt. No, 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 Patrick said. Put that back where you found it. I don't appreciate being... She began. I'm turning off the phone, Patrick said, and showed her as he did so. He gave her a smile, one that was supposed to be charming, but might have come across as desperate. But he didn't care how she took it. He headed back to the couch. Sorry about that, he said. I'm not done with you. Believe me, I'm barely getting started. And things went well after that as well as could be expected, considering his excitement and the words that kept echoing through his head. HELP, in all caps. As soon as they were done, she went into the bathroom, saying, Don't go to sleep. I'll be right back. And he turned on his phone again. There was another voicemail. It was Pierre again but a crazy-sounding Pierre, saying he was calling the police, but if Patrick got the message to come over and wait with him. He sounded like he might have been crying. Patrick thought about his friend, back in the spring, saying that he'd spent a summer in the hospital once, and how lonely it had been, and Patrick had remarked, Wow, a whole summer. Did you break both your legs or something? And how Pierre had said, it wasn't that kind of hospital, in a small voice. He felt guilty, drunk driver standing beside a run-over jogger guilty, and picked up his pants from off the floor. Courtney was standing in the doorway. What are you doing now? she asked. Patrick shrugged. He couldn't explain it, that he wanted two things— but even though they were opposite things, both of them came from his heart. I, I just... Guess I was wrong about you, O'Donnell, she said under her breath, but loud enough he could hear every word. For somebody who claims to be different from the other guys, you're about as sensitive as a high school football player. He knew what she wanted him to ask. If she had been with a lot of football players so he just shook his head. You got what you wanted, and now you're on to other things. It's not that, Courtney. My friend, you should have heard him. I heard enough, she said, and he thought that statement was directed at him, not at his friend. I'm sorry, he said again, and threw on his jacket. He left her there in his apartment hoping she would still be there when he got back. But from the look in those blue eyes of hers, he knew she wouldn't be. He drove across town toward Pierre's complex, berating himself again. The sex with Courtney had been brief and, frankly, not as good as it could have been. Not as good as it would have been the second time, he was certain. Damn it. And here he was, turning onto the road with all the trailers, where troublemakers and the cops always congregated, instead of rocking the horizontal dance floor like he wanted to be. This was not his responsibility. He wasn't Pierre's father, not even a brother or a cousin. He didn't have to do this. But he was Pierre's friend. And that meant something. Patrick had friends that had gotten him out of jams before, picked him up when he was drunk and needed a ride, taken him to the airport, helped him replace his toilet at his first apartment, brought him a filled gas can when he'd been stranded on the I-15 freeway. Patrick was simply... What was the word? Passing it forward. He drove on.
Alberto Harrell had put his active case files in the desk and locked the drawers, and was now on the phone with Kayla, speaking in that tone he used with people considering jumping off rooftops, or a wife that was on the verge of losing her temper with him. No, no, he said. I'm just leaving now. She asked him a question. In this case, right now means about 15 minutes. Sorry. She said something else. Just any lottery ticket, or is there a specific one you want me to pick up? That much? Okay, I might just waste our money on two. Someone across from him was trying to get his attention. Harrell looked up. Detective, Officer Mickelson said. Harrell cocked his head. It was the first time anyone had ever addressed him like that in the station. His promotion would not technically go through until the next couple of days. Maybe later, if the paperwork got delayed. He covered the phone. Yeah. A 911 call came through? Domestic disturbance or something. You want to take it, or are you out the door? He'd just been given a choice. That never happened. Maybe this promotion had newfound respect attached to it, at least as far as Mickelson went. Harrell glanced at his phone, where his wife was still talking. His shift wasn't over yet, but he'd gone out on enough domestic disturbances to know that taking this one was likely to get him back to Kayla pretty late. What about Burhan? Harrell asked, deciding to place tonight's decision in his new partner's hands. Has he gone home, too? No, he's on till midnight. Maybe one. Okay, I'll take it. And he took a little breath before telling Kayla his plans had changed. Patrick reached the apartment complex, already planning what he'd say to Pierre as he parked the car. Surely somebody had told him before that he was paranoid and had an overactive imagination, that these fears of his came from unrationalness rather than a real concern or threat. There came a time in every man's life, and that's what you are, Pierre, a man, when he had to stand up to the things he was afraid of and face them so that he'd be less afraid next time, or not afraid at all. A lot of lights were on on the second floor, and as Patrick went up the stairs to that level, he could see a couple of people up and about, in front of Pierre's closed door. He didn't know them, but a lady in a pink bathrobe and rollers in her hair. His grandmother had done that, and he was frankly surprised that was a thing anymore. Turned as he approached, scowling at him with what looked like disgust. You live here? No, I should have heard it. A man perhaps her husband, perhaps another unrelated neighbor, spoke up. He sounded almost amused. Crazy stuff. What was it? asked Patrick. Screaming, the bathrobe lady said, not at all concerned. Screaming bloody murder. Why, is Pierre all right? Who? asked the woman. The guy who lives here. Dunno, said the man. The door is locked. We already called the police, the woman told him. What's wrong with him, do you know? asked the man, and his question was ignored. Patrick tried the door. It was indeed locked. He hammered on it one more time, just for show, and then threw himself into it, right where he knew the deadbolt was. It held fast, hurt his shoulder. He should have kicked it. But what good would it have done? The doorknob lock was also engaged, and there was a metal piece there on the door, recently installed, that prevented exactly what he was trying. The lady in the bathrobe tugged on his sleeve, and when he turned, she quickly used both hands to keep her lapel area together. Not that he was interested in what she was hiding. He could not have given less of a crap right now about some stranger's body. The window, she said glancing over leadingly. What about the— He saw that the front window was broken, leaving a jagged gap about half a foot wide. Not enough for a person to get through, but broken nonetheless. 
No broken glass had fallen outside the apartment. This time he did use his foot, and kicked in the rest of the window. Careful, the neighbor man said, but he was already backing down the deck toward his own place. The glass fell into the apartment, joining the previous pieces, and Patrick was careful as he climbed into his friend's living room and looked around. The lights were all on, including the television, tuned to some religious station, BYU TV or something, with the sound off. Pierre, he called, but got no reply. He had a hunch he wouldn't get one. There was a sense about the place that no one was there. But when he got to the bedroom and saw the legs sticking out of the bottom of the closet, he understood why. He said his friend's name again, ran in, and recoiled at what he saw. Pierre was lying on his back, not moving, despite there being shoes and hard objects underneath his body. His dead body. Stretched out wire coat hangers were sticking out of his face. His mouth was loaded with them, and the end of one of them was jutting out of his eye. Patrick knelt down beside the body, and though he probably shouldn't do it until the police got there, he closed his friend's one wide, terrified eye. How could you do this to yourself? He looked away from the body. You couldn't. The bigger question was, how could you do this to somebody else? It was difficult to stand up, and there was an unpleasant tingling in his head like he'd been hanging upside down all evening. Patrick walked slowly back into the hall and processed what must have occurred. There hadn't been enough room for an intruder to get in here through the window and get out again unless they'd reached through the broken window to unlock the door. And then they... What? Locked the door behind them once they were inside? But that wasn't possible. Unless they were still here. He picked up one of Pierre's golf clubs. The guy didn't play golf, but he'd won them at a work Christmas party one year, and always wanted to try them out and went to the one other place the killer could be right now, the bathroom. He raised the club and burst into Pierre's little bathroom. No one was there. So how had they exited? The same way they came in? Through the toilet? Through the thin air? Sure, if it hadn't been a person that did this, if it had been something else. The podcatcher. He hadn't believed his friend, and now his friend lie dead, killed horribly by God knew what. Patrick felt dizzy, like he might fall down, like he might be sick. He was to blame. Absolutely. And you know what? He was glad Courtney Goggins wouldn't be going out with him a second time. He hoped she never spoke to him again, it was the least he deserved. He felt tears playing at the edges of his eyes. Tears of shock. Tears of loss. Tears of shame. He shook his head to clear them. You know what else? Maybe that was wrong. Maybe it was good that he was beating himself up inside. Maybe he didn't want to be with somebody with no compassion. With no... What was the word? He heard the sound of sirens not far off. Empathy. That was the word, where you thought about other people's feelings, tried to understand how they felt. Courtney was real pretty, but maybe she wasn't so pretty on the inside. There came a banging on the door back of the living room, and Patrick moved to answer it. He wiped at his cheek and found it wet with more than just one tear. It was the police at the door, and he let them in, noting the newly installed deadbolt and doorknob. It was two officers, and he immediately put his hands up. But the lead cop, an older black man with a bit of a belly and kind eyes, told him not to worry. 
that the neighbors vouched for him, told them he'd just gotten there, that the window had already been broken by somebody else. My friend, Patrick said, gesturing to the bedroom. He's in there. Please help. One of the cops moved past him and went in to check. They heard his exclamation of, Jesus, from the living room, and the older cop went in to also look at the body. Patrick sat on the couch, a cheap one that had been his two couches ago, before it started sagging in the middle. He'd helped carry it up here. What, three years ago? Five? The younger policeman, a blond man with a round face and glasses, got out his notebook and started asking Patrick questions, while the older cop called it in. He reported it as a homicide, possible home invasion, and something technical Patrick couldn't understand. Did you touch the body? A nod. The young cop looked at Patrick's hands, but there was no blood on them. Not that that meant anything. I'm sorry, Patrick said. But it wasn't really for touching Pierre. He was sorry for other things. Forget about it, the cop said. Just tell us what you know. Patrick started recounting the story, but it sounded really confused and nonsensical to his ears, like he was making it up as he went along. Do you still have the texts? the older cop asked. Patrick nodded and got out his phone. And the voicemail? You still have that? Another nod. Do you mind playing it for us? What an odd way to pose the question. Patrick played it for them. I think I'd better call the police, Patrick. Pierre's quavering voice said. I've always been scared of them, but I'm scared of the podcatcher more. If you get this, can you come over and wait with me? You don't have to stay or anything, but I'd feel better not being alone. Patrick thought of that dead body, the wires sticking out of his face and closed his eyes. The message continued. I'm sure it's tonight, man. I don't know where he's been all these years, maybe trapped in the mines. Maybe that one died, and this is another one. But he's coming. I'm so scared. And then Pierre said the most upsetting thing. I'm sorry for bothering you, man. Don't be mad. And then there was a click. The police did not seem suspicious of Patrick. In fact, the older cop put his arm on his back, trying to comfort him, and asked if he needed anything. Empathy. Like what? Patrick asked, genuinely curious what could help him right now. Some water, maybe? suggested the man. Or a bucket to barf in. Patrick hadn't heard someone use the word barf in a long, long time. He shook his head. Hey there, do you mind if I forward the voicemail? asked the cop with the glasses, then went ahead and did so. Patrick didn't know if they had to ask, or if the man was just being polite. His phone beeped in the other man's hand. Uh, Another message, he said. He didn't ask Patrick if he could play this one, just went ahead and did so. It was a voicemail from Courtney. It started playing in front of the two cops. I waited for you to come back, and you didn't. I considered trashing your place, turning the fishbowl out on your bed, at least cranking up the heater full blast. Patrick should have been embarrassed that these strangers were hearing this, but he had gone numb inside. Courtney continued. But I thought about it and what you said to me the first time you asked me out about being not just another jerky guy like Tomas was, and the fact that you'd go running out to help your friend instead of ignoring him means something. Maybe you're a keeper, Patrick O'Donnell. I'm sorry if I was a biatch. Give me another chance, okay? The young cop, Officer Burhan, his name tag said, raised his eyebrows. That's nice. Sorry about that, 
the older cop said. I could have gotten here sooner, said Patrick, but not really to them, just to the air. Maybe to Pierre's ghost, if it was still hanging around. And then he thought about the girl using his name like that, and something occurred to him. He had seen letters somewhere. He crossed and looked at the mail on Pierre's junk-covered kitchen table. One of them said, Pierre Oliver Denton. P-O-D. Something called a podcatcher had come for a guy named Pierre Oliver Denton. Gotten into a locked apartment and slipped out through a seven or eight inch break in the window. Maybe podcatchers were really thin like that, or could turn into smoke like Count Dracula in a black and white movie. The ambulance arrived, and while they did their job, he answered a number of other questions for the police, told the story again with more details, including Courtney's name this time, and didn't watch the paramedics. He kept thinking of Courtney using his first and last name on the recording, his own initials repeated in his head, Patrick B. O'Donnell. It wasn't quite the same. Or was it? It was a while before he left the apartment, and he surprised himself by not wanting to go. He was scared. But scared of what? What the hell was a podcatcher? He felt for his phone to look it up, but the cop had taken it, said he'd return it by morning. He'd even asked if Patrick wanted to use it to call his girlfriend before he took it. More empathy. He went out the front door. Another cop, a bigger guy, was standing there, keeping the neighbors away, like a bouncer at a nightclub. A big group of neighbors were milling around, several more down in the parking lot. Is he dead? the lady previously in her bathrobe asked. Now she was dressed. She had brushed her hair, despite it being the middle of the night. Huh? Patrick murmured. Well, the ambulance didn't have its lights on. Oh, uh, okay. Thanks, he said, not really paying attention. He scanned the parking lot, finally spotting his car. He'd parked it badly, halfway over the yellow lines, in his haste to make sure Pierre was all right. There was someone standing, right beside his car. But the person was shaped wrong. They were too tall to even be a person. Maybe it was a tree. A small tree standing in the parking lot in between his car and the one next to it. The tree took a step forward. Well, it wasn't a tree, was it? A podcatcher seemed to be a person, but a very, very tall one, and without human proportions. This thing's arms were as long as its body, arms with myriad fingers, for reaching, grabbing. Patrick spun on his heels and nearly bumped into the older policeman that had been kind to him before. Whoa, you okay, son? Gonna be sick after all. I might like to go back to the station with you. Give a report. The big man made a face that conveyed appreciation. That's not necessary. Not tonight, anyway. You go get some rest, if you can. Patrick shook his head. Could I go with you anyway? Doesn't have to be to the station. I could just ride around with you in, in your squad car. I don't have a squad car. Just made detective myself. Patrick looked beyond the policeman, back to where his car was parked. He saw the car but not what had been beside it. Maybe it had been a trick of the weak light. Maybe he'd been seeing things. Maybe there was nothing to worry about. Something was hunched over behind the car, squatting, trying not to be seen. Its shadow was visible there. Not quite a person. Not quite a tree.
one of its hands opened and closed, like tree branches bending in the wind. This particular night was absent of wind, of course. Buy you some dinner, then? Patrick offered, trying to sound friendly, but probably only sounding desperate. Maybe just a cup of coffee? The cop also looked toward Patrick's car. He squinted, then went still. His hand moved to his belt, not quite on his gun, but near it. Let me get you a cup, son. Or a breakfast burrito, maybe. The newly promoted detective had detected something, hadn't he? Patrick felt immensely relieved. Th that would be nice, he said. Okay, so that, that is where we're going to stop for Podcatcher today. Now, this part of the episode is being recorded after I have sat down and recorded the story. It took a long time. <laughs> long enough that I thought, oh, well, this is two episodes. This isn't a single episode. And so what I decided to do was cut the story off right there, because that's where the story originally ended. Now, uh, it, it's been expanded a little bit. In actually writing that bit, I already knew that I had changed my mind and the story wasn't going to end there. Uh, I put out an episode recently called Good Enough Episode. And in that, I talk about a story that I wrote called Murder Maze. And it ended on sort of a cliffhanger and people didn't like that. I guess they felt like it was a letdown or a cop-out, or maybe the whole story was one of those things. And then this story, I wrote not long after that, and I was cognizant of the way people didn't like the ending to Murder Maze. And I had intended to end this story with Patrick realizing that his initials, sort of, I mean, Patrick O'Donnell, also spell pod. And that was the end of the story. But even before I got to that point, I had changed my mind and I decided, no, the story's going to go on from there. I'm just going to have to work harder and I have to try and come up with a satisfying resolution to the story. So you can come back next time and get the second half of Podcatcher. And uh, we'll talk about two things, though, in the meantime. One, I just felt like Comes the Podcatcher was too unwieldy, too lofty, maybe, too hubristic. Say more words, right? It just, it felt hoity-toity, if you know what I mean. The Podcatcher sounded fine, but Podcatcher had a bit more of an oomph to it. Not a lot. I recognize that that is a ridiculous name. I, I like that word, don't I? Ridiculous. When I did the Journey into Another Dimension episode, I talked about that story being ridiculous and that I reveled in it. I loved the ridiculousness of it. I even remember the name of the kittens. They were Kayathabas. And, um, this is similar. It is deliberately called something laughable, nonsensical, ludicrous. See, those are all three good words that mean the same thing as ridiculous. I am aware that podcatcher is a dumb name for a monster. If you're a podcast listener and you know what a podcatcher is. If you're not, maybe it sounds good. I don't care. I went with Podcatcher because of the ridiculousness of the name, not in spite of it. Maybe one day you'll hear my story 
that was inspired by the uh, Siren Head urban legend. Is it an urban legend? Creepypasta? Cryptid? Uh, whatever you would call that. Siren Head is a pretty out there idea for a monster. And so I, I started writing a story about him or about it. And then I decided, no, I'm going to take it a step further and embrace the absurdity even further. And so Siren Head became Waffle Iron Man. So it's like Iron Man, but Waffle Iron Man. <laughs> Sorry. I, I don't often toot my own horn. The only time you'll hear this kind of exuberance from my own writing is when I'm talking about a insurance company slogan that I have used for a title for a Lara and the Witch story. Did I mention this before the, the, the story? I don't know if I did. Uh, it, it's better here than there if I did. But I was inspired by a Ray Bradbury story when I wrote this. I was at the cabin. I had built a fire. This would have been let's say October 2019, I was listening to Marshall Latham's podcast, Journey Into, and he had done a presentation of Ray Bradbury's The Wind. And in The Wind, there's a married couple and a friend of the husband is illogically afraid of The Wind. And the married couple sort of snicker at him because he thinks that the wind is going to get him. But it turns out to not be so funny. I really, really liked that idea of somebody being afraid of something that is inherently not scary. And maybe you dismiss it. I wanted to tell the story from the friend's point of view rather than the scared person's point of view, he dismisses it and then later finds evidence that he should not have dismissed it. Now, I can't remember the Bradbury story very well, but it doesn't matter because somebody will say something, you'll hear a snippet of dialogue, you'll be watching something, you misremember something, and it's a jumping off point for a new story that is yours. And I don't feel like, with the exception of Christopher Paolini, it matters how you were inspired to write what you write. And, you know, even the Christopher Paolini thing, I guess that was a low blow. I don't know. I, I don't just know. had never heard anything so egregious than when Big Anklovich played that for me. We tried to listen to the audiobook together, and I just, I couldn't take it. But even taking that into account, those stories are his. You know, it, it, it's apparent what inspired it, but it doesn't matter. You know, Fifty Shades of Grey being Twilight fan fiction, it's not that anymore. But what I was going to say is I don't really remember the Bradbury story anymore. And I think if I went back and compared them, that might be interesting. But it also might be frustrating. I'm reminded of a screenplay that I wrote called The Brotherhood. It was, it, it took place on a college campus and it turned out that there was a fraternity of vampires that had set up a chapter on the campus. And if you pledged to the frat and got in, you, they would make you a vampire. And so some other students set up a competing fraternity or organization on campus. It wasn't a frat. It was, you know, just a group that men and women could join of vampire hunters of, uh, you know, Van Helsing's type thing. And uh, I submitted that to a couple of places. I got notes back. And one of the notes that stayed with me till 2021 was, uh, boy, you can tell this guy has watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And that upset me because I hadn't. I had not watched Buffy. I wish that I had because a few years later in like 2006, 2007, I started watching it and I loved it. 
And yet, there would be moments while I was watching the show where I'd say, you know, there's something like this in that script that I wrote. I can see why somebody would say, oh, you got this from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So it still hurt, even though I knew that it was unfounded. Ultimately, that was just a lesson that I had to learn. We've talked about the Brotherhood a bunch of times because it was a life lesson for me. Different aspects of it. Well, you know, I think I'm going to leave us there because, like I said, the story is long. And I've got a lot more editing to do. And I guess I've got a second episode to present it in. And so I really appreciate you having listened all the way through. I hope that you liked the story or the first part of the story. And uh, I hope you will join me for the second half. And here's a challenge between this episode and next episode. What other horror stories, horror movies etc. Can you think of that have ridiculous names? I'm going to give you two examples to start off the conversation. One totally works, even though it shouldn't. And one does not. So the one that works is the Babadook. Listen, guys, Babadook is an absolutely stupid name. That's it. I know you were waiting for a but, but that's it. It's an absolutely stupid name. But the movie treats it so seriously that it works. Oh, you know, here's another example. Candyman. Yeah, there's a, uh, who was it? One-Eyed Guy, Sammy Davis Jr. song. Who can take a chalupa, shove it someplace warm. That should not be a scary title. But the movie was scary enough that it works. And Candyman, I've only said it twice, has now become a scary word, much more than a reference to an old song or somebody that sells sweets. That works. If the pandemic hadn't happened, we would have gotten a soft reboot in 2020. And uh, they'd probably be planning the sequel by now. So there's that. Oh, the one that doesn't work. (laughs) In, I want to say 2019, there was a movie released, a horror movie called The Bye-Bye Man. And I remember laughing through the trailer because it was so asinine, this name. And they said it again and again and again. And if you had had a drinking game, watching the trailer to The Bye-Bye Man and imbibed every time somebody said The Bye-Bye Man, I think you'd be passed out for the movie that followed. It did not work. It was too idiotic to work for a title. And it's, it's probable that the movie was really, really bad too. I wouldn't know because I wouldn't go see a movie called The Bye-Bye Man. So let's talk about more. There, I mean, another one just came to mind, but I'm not going to say it. I hope that you guys have some that we can talk about. It just, just for fun. We're all friends here, right? And so, so that's it. If you'd like to support me on Patreon, I would appreciate the pod out of it. And uh, you don't have to donate a lot, maybe a dollar an episode. It helps me do these. It helps me want to do these. And you get a Patreon address every month where I sit down like I have for the last 18 minutes. If you like my stuff, that's the best way to encourage me to do more. You can always go out and buy a copy of Podcatcher if you like. I'll make sure that it's up on Amazon before this um, episode airs. That way you can find out how it ends, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel strange telling you to do that. There are some stories that I put out there that I just, I don't feel like I should charge for, but I, you have to on Amazon doesn't let you put things up for free, or at least they didn't used to. I used to have to go to Smashwords to uh, put stuff up for free. And then eventually Amazon would pick up a link to the Smashwords site 
but I don't know that that still happens and I just don't do smash words anymore. I wish that I did, or I wish that I had somebody who would do it for me because the reason that I don't was I made so little through smash words. I think the last time I made anything, it was 75 cents or something like that. And that would have been like 2018, but also they have a different format requirement than Amazon does. So I just, yeah, it is not worth it to me to reformat the story so that it can go up on Smashwords. You understand. There are other ways you can support me. One of them being, you can tell me a movie title that is ridiculous. It has to be a horror movie, though. It can't be Jennifer Garner in Peppermint, which makes the Bye Bye Man sound... Okay, Bye Bye Man is still really bad. I appreciate you. You have a good day and... May Podcatcher find you not at home. Special thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for the music so inexpertly used in this episode. Are you insulting him or me? You. The Rish Outcast really should not exist. But since it does, I suppose the best that can be said of it is that it was produced under a Creative Commons 3.0 license. Of course, that's a little bit like noticing the piranhas eating you of a very attractive colouring. It is now rendered necessary that I belch. Stan didn't know what to say to that. So he said nothing. I will say, stayed quiet, Chalupa, my dear. Stan didn't know what to say to that, so he stayed quiet. Porto Mas had been astride. Porto Mas had been astride morado. Porto Mas had been astride morado. Porto Mas had been astride morado. Morado. Porto Mas had been astride morado. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. Porto Mas had been astride morado, and in one second had been bucked right off. Had been bucked right off. The boy flew back against the stall and onto the dusty, hay-strown ground. Oh, I need to plug it in. I thought it was plugged in. You know it's not. Okay. It still says it's not plugged in. Better? It still says it's not plugged in. Hello? It won't charge? He didn't seem to. The thin, white-shelled corv, the thin, white-shelled corv, surely an advisor, leaned forward and began s- leaned forward and began snack- God, Jesus f***ing damn it. He didn't seem to. The thin, white-shelled corv, surely an advisor, leaned forward and began snacketing something to him. Yeah, it has to have been more than a full minute of it being frozen. Whoa. Still frozen. And, I, dude, I am exhausted. I don't know what's wrong with me. Trying to, uh, what's the longest I was ever asleep on a recording track? Sucking, Sucking the, the meat, meat off, off the, the bone. bone.